what we really want to do is encourage corporates, startups, university researchers who have interesting tech or solutions that could work in the developing world, who want to better understand that market and actually validate their products in that environment. We're looking for opportunities always. I would take this chance to reach out to people who could see that fit with us. for five the singularity you podcast where we're going to bring you inspirational stories from people who are embedded in educating and inspiring other people today we're speaking with project everest ventures we're speaking with wade tink and andrew vild who have recently completed a retreat with um su ventures and they might talk a little bit about that as well but we're going to be talking about the five things that have real meaning and have built their business with the purpose and the intent um, and the impact that they've created. So welcome, Wade and Andrew. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you. So you've just come off um, a retreat with SU Ventures. Can you firstly give us a little bit of information on how that went and how you found it, new experiences? Firstly, it was a beautiful location, Redwood. Never been there before. Uh, and it was great to meet the other some of the other portfolio companies and just um, get inspired by what they're doing. And, uh, and see that difference. I think it was really good. I think also it was a really good introduction to the mindset that exists within Singularity University. We're so often surrounded, surrounded with people who don't necessarily understand or see business that is such a powerful way forward. And when you're surrounded by just entrepreneurs, it's just so much easier to communicate what you do with them. And that was a really nice kind of transition to then coming to this summit where there's obviously thousands of people who are working in this space. And I find it's really nice for us because we've just come off the leadership conference as well, but it's really nice to be surrounded by like-minded and people who think very similarly to you do and it kind of um, validates, I think, the the thinking and the thoughts and the optimism and the hope with which we all um, approach the future. 100%. Yeah. So let's talk about um, Project Project Everest Ventures. Do you just want to give me a little bit of background before we go into your five selected points that we're going to we're going to use for the Inspire for Five podcast? So just give us a bit of background. How did you start? How did you meet? Well, um, we ultimately started in the development space in non for profit, and with the idea of you know university students, and it started from there. You know, they want to start non for profit. They want to change the world. They want to do these things. Have to go about it in a terrible way, and so how can we educate people on uh, what development could be and how they could make a career out of it? Given that at non-for-profits attracted a lot of young people, and then by the time they hit their thirties, they need to leave because they need to have a family and they need to get on with their lives. So it kind of started down there, and the idea: how can we create some really good sustainable development using a business model in developing countries? And we've been going about three and a half years now along that path, and as we've gone down that path, we've discovered more and more opportunities which has been really exciting and sort of bringing to our points. I think, I think as well for us, looking at all of the founders and how, you know, where they came from, none of us were really happy in our pathway in which we're currently doing. So I was working in engineering industry. Tink was working in the finance sector. Um, you know, Jess was working in a homeless shelter for domestic violence for women. Um, and Jimmy was working in the, in the arts and media space. So for us to actually go and work into a space that we cared about and gave purpose and also meant that we could use entrepreneurship to educate you know, university students who are our future leaders, uh, that was like exactly what we wanted to do. So what exactly does Project Everest Ventures do? So we solve social issues in developing countries using a business model. 
and we attract ultimately corporates, university research, uh, startups with good tech, who ultimately, if they brought this into an emerging market, they could create a, like a social impact in that space. So usually their product or service has some inherent social benefit. And we the issues that they face is getting product market fit or getting an understanding of what it would be work, like to work in that developing market and, and understanding the business opportunity. And so we pair this with university students who want to work overseas, who want the experience and the exposure. Um, and ultimately they go over and conduct the product market fit process using our techniques and the infrastructure that we have and you know, the whole standardization process that we've created. Sounds like a great business model. Andrew, you're head of projects. What does that mean? My role is essentially to garner new projects and oversee all of our existing ones. We've operated over the last three and a half years across two countries in Africa and five countries in Asia. And we're now in sub-Saharan Africa, India, Asia Pacific and uh, Southeast Asia. So I manage the 11 projects that we currently have and I work with corporates, universities and startups to see how we can actually take their tech and prove product market fit on the ground. And that's literally my sole role is, is to pull all those opportunities in and, and make them happen. Simple role, really. <laughs> <laughs> um, so let's go through. We, we asked you to, to prepare five points that were important to you. And the first ones that you mentioned were the SDG, so the, um, the development goals, sustainable development goals. Do you want to talk to why they are so important to you and, and why have you why that path? Yeah, so... When you look at you know, where the world currently is, the UN have identified the 17 most important areas in which we should be focusing our attention. With our mission to solve social issues in the developing world using a business model, it makes sense that we would use that as our kind of handrail or our guidance as to how we should go about executing things. And when you look at the opportunities that exist, not just in the developed world, but the developing world for how technology can make our quality of life better, as Andrew's saying, the key thing is that like all our projects stem from the SDGs. It's also a privilege of us to be able to expose students and also businesses and tech startups and you know university research to that space. So I think you know everything comes and derives from that, just mm-hmm. like the global grand challenges at SU. And I think for me, if you don't know that the sustainable development goals are there. You, you need to learn about them somewhere, um, and I and I. So we were talking earlier about the importance of having social impact, and they are a guideline for where the social impact is most needed. And let's face it: if that many countries can agree um, on on a set of seventeen um, goals, then surely we can agree to to help smaller businesses. Um, have social meaning and social impact. What's surprising as well is how well they're actually mapped. Um, like that they derive down to you know a very detailed you know description of what is to occur at each each um, goal and how it's to be broken down, and how that reporting feeds back up uh, to the system. Even to the point now that universities in the last year have now been ranked on their contribution to sustainable development goals. And what we highlight to universities is um, that America is far behind. Like the outperformers are. New Zealand, Ireland. I think Australia. we're all to New Zealand. Yeah. Yeah. So those three countries, you know, outperform America by a country mile, whereas the top 10 universities in the world, seven of them would be American. You know, they don't appear in the, this uh, ranking to about 17th, I think, is the first one. So it's really interesting. So lucky they're competitive and they may catch up. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, so the, the other thing that we were talking about earlier were emerging markets. So what's your take on emerging markets and how does that fit in with what um, Project Everest Ventures does? 
So we've, look, at the end of the day, we've got America as the major number one market. Like there's no doubt if you take America, you take the world. But when you look at the other emerging markets, we've got India, 1.3 billion people um, heading towards 1.6. And you've got ultimately uh, Africa, sub-Saharan Africa. We, we use Malawi as a testbed for that, 985 million people. And globally, you've got 4 billion people living on less than $5 a day. And so, you know, you go, well, they haven't got any money, so how is there an opportunity here? But if you have 500 million people giving you a dollar, you've got a $500 million company. In terms of getting them to purchasing power parity over the next, you know, 50 years, there's an incredible opportunity. And a lot of shortcuts are being made in the emerging markets that don't have to go through the infrastructure pain that the developed world's gone through. So I think that we're going to see... Uh, you know, a rapid um, evolution in terms of emerging markets getting to uh, purchasing power parity. That's because of technology, right? Yeah. And your hand just did the exponential curve, yeah. whether you realised it or yeah. not. Yeah. It's all low left, high right, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Andrew, you mentioned that personal values are really important to you. Can you expand on that? I think coming into, you know, a world... And, you know, given every generation has obviously gone through their challenges, coming into a world where the sustainable development goals and the environment is on the forefront of, you know, everything that's happening and, and similarly with, you know, the, the threat that technology may take away our jobs, I think it's incredibly important to, to understand what we can and what we can't do within our own power and within our own trajectories. And I kind of see it as um, there's five main things within you know, personal values that require no talent. So the first of that is to actually have a purpose. It, you, Regardless of where you're born, what your intelligence is, it requires zero talent to actually identify a purpose that you're going to work towards. Uh, the next thing is to actually have presence, to decide how your attitude is going to be, whether you smile at people, how you stand, and what kind of impact and impression that you leave on people in the room, and looking the part. It's not hard to spend 30 seconds looking in the mirror, making sure that your shirt's tucked in or you've ironed your shirt in the right way and to make sure that you present yourself in a way that, again, makes that impression on people. And within this as well is five minutes planning before bed. If you can take five minutes every night to make sure that your clothes for the next day are sorted, that your you know, pyjamas are you know, laid out exactly so that you can just pull them on and go straight to sleep and you have an idea of what you're doing the next day, you'll be able to go into that day actually achieving a lot more. And that last thing is um, doing five things every day that will make you happy and make you productive. Mm -hmm. So for me, uh, my five things are listen to a 90s pop song, eat something green, make uh, myself vulnerable or embarrass myself at least once every day, um, make my bed before I leave my room, um, and spend five to ten minutes just learning something new. And I guess those five things within personal values ultimately mean that when you go about your day-to-day -day interactions with other people or if you go about you know that in your work life it makes a huge difference as to how you come across and what you're able to actually achieve um why do you have a set routine like that um yeah i do have a set routine but uh it's been a bit sidelined lately with the amount of travel we've been doing um, but certainly for me it's getting up early exercising um and focusing on my intentions for the day and my goals and then basically getting into work early which I love yeah. I do the walk every morning and I do a little meditation on like I sit down on a rock I have what we call meditation rock people have been known to take photos of me when I don't know we're sitting on meditation rock <laughs> um, yeah and, and posting them um, okay so technology 
uh, and how that all fits in. So probably we were talking earlier about how technology has always been around, but it, it takes different shapes and different forms. Um, and we're at Singularity University Global Summit um, in San Francisco right now, and we know that technology is on an, on an amazing, you know, upward exponential curve and, and will be for some time. Um, how does technology fit with Project Everest Ventures? Yeah, well, Tink was talking before about the emerging markets, right, and, and how, you know, they're kind of leapfrogging a lot of the slow developments that we've had, you know, in, in the developed world. You look at phones, for instance. The developing world did not put phone lines out to every single house, you know, in every single part of the country. They just went straight to mobile phones. Similarly, now you're seeing people not wait for government infrastructure to come in to have access to energy. They're going straight to solar panels. Similarly with education, rather than building, you know, a physical school, one school, $1,000, two schools, $2,000 in the traditional charity model, you can find that there's ways to provide education remotely and through you know, virtual learning, through just access to internet and a smartphone or a tablet. And so technology is changing the entire way in which the developing worlds are able to actually catch up to what the developed world is doing. And that's where that, that market opportunity exists as well. It's, yeah, absolutely massive. Another example I love because it's very Australian um, and, you know, I know this is an Australian thing, but Torrance Tidal, we have this um, system in Australia where it's the most advanced in the developed world to uh, basically record real estate transactions and purchases and ownership. And it's fully advanced and we're like so proud of it. And uh, there's a company called Bitland, which uses blockchain to do this in Ghana and does it at a thousandth of the cost and with a way more uh, transparency um, using a technology that's emerging. And you're like, how the hell? Like, there's just such yeah. a, a mind-boggling skip of, you know, so much infrastructure and they've got it so much better than what we have. And even Estonia being being up there, like their best tech, you know, using technology, the best of any, any of the developed world is quite mind-boggling as well. Yeah. We put too many rules in place. Yeah, um, 100% regulation. Yeah, so something that we're that in our discussion earlier we're all quite passionate about is education, uh, and mm. that I guess is what Project Everest Ventures does. Um, how do you do that best, and how do you how did you come to identify education as being crucial? Like we, the education space is rapidly changing, and it and it has to like, and it, it amazes me in the space how little people are even aware of, for instance, MOOCs, which is the multiple open online courses and the way that that's transforming education. In the university sector, it's it's very established. It's not going anywhere. Um, MOOCs are trying to disrupt it, having a lot of trouble, and there's not a lot of interest in the education space. But a lot of things are changing. For instance, the flipped classroom idea. Um, you know, you used to go to a lecture for three hours and then you go to a shoot for one hour. Uh, now it's a case of you watch your lectures all online and you go to three hours where you work in groups and the lecturer works, walks around and in, interacts with, with people. We're just taking it to a further step and we're not the only company doing experiential things overseas, but the way that we're interacting it with business is completely unique in the world. And that is that students and, you know, getting down into school-aged children will have social impact, you know, in this next generation because the environment and the real world is much better educator than any kind of classroom and that's what we're taking and it also takes for training we conduct in experiential learning taking a lot of the stuff that we learned from the military you know into large um, exercises to simulate you know real emotions and everything like that it's it's the next generation of where education is going which is quite interesting because you've both got a military background don't you 
Yeah. So yep. how, how military social impact? How a lot of people are going. How does that go together? Um, but it, it does, in fact, go together. Yeah. What What I think, I mean, off the back of what Tink was saying, and, and we had this discussion the other day. Everything that you kind of learn in in university, you kind of forget as soon as you go into the workplace. You eighty percent of what you do in the workplace is, is dealing with people, dealing with real life events and, and variables. And I think what is so valuable about the military is they are so good at teaching discipline. They are so good at teaching uh, a, a base skill and then saying, you now need to practice this and you will learn as a result. And I hate how classrooms, and, and it has its place, I understand that, but I hate how classrooms like, these are the outcomes you have to have and they force learning for the sake of learning. Whereas if you actually do an activity, you'll learn as a byproduct of being successful. And so in the military, they, they teach you this basic theory. They don't give you textbook answers on how things should be they just put you out on an exercise and you're in a either a section size of eight or a platoon size of 46 or up to a company size of you know 120 to 150 and you get given a task and you need to go achieve that task and and deal with whatever comes your way without understanding and so we've brought that into the training that we conduct where we give that theory students then will actually go and implement projects overseas with our kind of risk management backing around that but we can't guarantee what the learning outcomes will be other than they're going to be really good and it's going to be valuable for what they're actually going to do in the work world yeah i think we're totally over-regulated in our education system and all we've done is give teachers nightmares so as soon as something needs to be changed in an education system you just hear the teachers go no not again you know and and how many more boxes do we have to tick why can't we just get on with the job of of educating Yep. But that learning outcome scenario drives me nuts, drives me insane. Okay, um, any last words, any last pieces of advice, words of wisdom uh-huh. um, for a happy, healthy, wonderful life? <laughs> <laughs> Don't start a startup. <laughs> that's, the, that's the best way to enjoy your life. Um, but if you're willing to go through the pain... Um, yeah, you'll find a lot of people in SU, I think, that, that get it and are supportive and it's a really great community to be a part of. And it's in great to see the people around you who are inspiring and making it happen. Mm-hmm. And it's great to see other people who have gone through that pain barrier and then the investors and people who are experienced on the other side giving you the, the support and the pat on the back and the cheering you along the side as well. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's a good space to be involved. Andrew? I, I actually have a call to action. Uh my call to action is I I find it crazy that we feel like we only have two options in our life we either go down this corporate or industry pathway or we go down the NGO or charity pathway if we want to do good and if you look at examples like Tesla Zipline, so Zipline just raised $190 million uh, earlier this year for setting up a drone company that delivers life-saving blood across Rwanda and Ghana and they've done so in a developing context. They've made money doing so. No one is angry that they would be paying themselves you know, seven figures or taking seven-figure dividends. And they have made 13,000 life-saving deliveries. It just blows my mind that we, we're still in this environment where we think that we have to be a martyr if we're going to do good or we have to be a corporate sellout if we're going to be financially stable. So I guess my call to action is... is look to be more accepting of how business can actually change the world and how getting involved in these circles is so powerful because you find people who don't look at you and say no but you find people who say yes and.